1 Peter chapter 4, and the scripture will be up on the screen for you. I'm going to be reading 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12, <clears throat> excuse me, through 19. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19, and then we'll have just a brief prayer before we have uh, this morning's message. 1 Peter 4, beginning in verse 12, uh, going to the end of the chapter, verse 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory, excuse me, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Verse 17, for it is a time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the word of God. Will you join me as we pray? God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the power of your spirit and the truth of the word of God. We ask this morning as we take some time to settle our hearts and minds on the Word of God and the power of the Gospel, that you might do a work in our hearts to make us more like Jesus, that you would change us, that you would allow us to be more willing to submit to you on obedience, more restful in our faith, a willingness to let go of the things we cling to, a willingness to worship you with all of our life. So God, we pray this morning as we spend some time in your Word, you might be glorified as we offer it as worship to you to submit to the authority of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We're continuing in our study of 1 Peter, and we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 9, verses 12 through 19, um, this morning. Power to do good. Power to do good. That's the last verse of this passage. Let me just read it again for you. Therefore, let those who, those who suffer according to God's will to entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So the question is not, should we do good? I don't know anybody who follows the Lord, any believer in the Bible that wonders whether or not we should do good. I might frankly even suggest even those who don't consider themselves Christian or religious, they might uh, answer, should a person do good? The answer is yes. The question we as Christians ought to be asking is, how do we then have power to do good, and when should we do good? So the question we want to answer this morning is, how do we have the power of God to do the good He has called us to do, and when ought we to do that? The power to do good. We've had a couple of fires burning over the last week or so. I don't know if you've noticed. I had a fire burning up by milepost mile 97, and uh, Last couple of days, I had a fire burning out on Evans Creek uh, Road area. It looks like this morning, at least, the fires are relatively knocked down, very little smoke, right? That's a decent August. We've had two, two smoke-free days. It's pretty good. Uh, so 
what you'll notice when these, uh, when these notices come out, they have these evacuation notices for people whose homes might be in the path of the fire. They have a level one evacuation notice, meaning there's a fire in Oregon. Then they have a level two evacuation notice that says, be prepared to evacuate. And even at the bottom of the level two evacuation notice, it says, you, this may be the only notice you receive. If, if there's flames outside your window, don't wait for level three to be announced. Go ahead and get out of here. Then there's a level three evacuation notice which says, get out. If you don't get out, we cannot help you. And so what you do when you get a level three evacuation notice is you stop everything and you go. The only thing that matters in that situation is getting out. Well, allegedly. I know a lot of people don't, but that's the idea. And here's the thing that we need to recognize. As Christians, when we encounter difficulty in our life, and difficulty and suffering and hardship is universal. Every single person is experiencing some sort of suffering and difficulty in their life most of the time. What we tend to do is when we hit that difficult time in our life, we experience that trial, we issue to ourselves a level three evacuation notice. The only thing that matters now is to get out of this difficulty. And we say the only thing, well, I'm in suffering, I'm in difficulty, I'm in hardship. Nothing else matters now. The only thing that matters right now in this hardship is how do I make it stop and how quickly. And what we're going to discover here in the Bible is that is not the plan that God is giving us when we find ourselves in a level three suffering situation. Look at verse 12 of 1 Peter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. You're a Christian. You're following the Lord. You're obeying Him most of the time. You're obeying Him when you're asleep. Okay, we'll just take a win, right? Okay. You're following the Lord. You're seeking uh, to walk with Him, and you're seeking to know Him in His Word. You're seeking to pray and, and, and to work with Him in those areas of your life that fall short. And uh, it's an up and down and back and forth uh, Christian life. And then trial hits you, and you say, what? I'm following the rules. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. I claim the Lord is my Lord only. I'm trying to walk away from sin. I'm trying to give sacrificially. I'm trying to volunteer my time. I'm not like those guys at work. And God, you send me the trial. And then the Bible informs us very quickly what we should be recognizing. Beloved, do not be what? Surprised. It's a command. It's funny because it's a command. Don't be surprised. A surprise party has been planned for you, and he's saying don't be surprised because the party is trial. And you show up and you enter into hardship, whatever that might be. And our tendency is to say, this shouldn't be happening, and the Bible tells us to re-examine our heart and say, hey, this isn't surprising. What might be surprising and that is that it's taken this long for this trial to show up. So there's three very quick commands in, the, in verse 12, 13, and 14. I just want to point out before we sort of encapsulate this whole first section, power to do good from God's blessing. First command is verse 12, do not be what? Surprised. I know, we're talking about suffering, and you're not, I'm, not, I'm not repeating words. I'm not being involved in this. Okay. Second one, verse 13. But rejoice. Suffering shows up, whatever it is. Somebody's making fun of you about being Christian or just normal life suffering. Your health is going sideways. You've lost someone you love. Your job has fallen apart. 
whatever it might be, these are all sufferings. This is all captured by this word suffering. Bad stuff happens, and it says, don't be surprised. And in fact, verse 13, don't be surprised, but in fact, what? Rejoice. Okay, now this is getting weird. Suffering is happening, and as a Christian, I'm supposed to be, oh, I must be a Christian. I'm suffering. Not only that, awesome. And this is completely backwards for most of us. We don't want to rejoice in suffering, and we are surprised when it happens. How can something bad like this happen to a good person like me? And the Bible calls us to not be surprised and say, in fact, calls us into rejoicing. Third thing, verse 14. If you were insulted for the name of Christ, you are what? Blessed. This is a complete 180 from how we normally look at suffering. Don't be surprised. In fact, rejoice and now consider yourself blessed. This is a different way of looking at suffering. Why is this important? The Bible is going to call us to a life of serving God through goodness, meaning doing good things for other people, believers and our community. And the Bible is going to call us to keep doing those good things while suffering. Because that's exactly what's going on in the lives of the people in First Peter. They were under intense suffering, and they were tempted to do the same thing that you and I do when we're in difficulty. Okay, bar the gates, shut the windows, hunker down, wait till it's over. And once everything is over, everything's hunky-dory, everything's copacetic, then I'll go back and start helping people again. And the Bible says, no, let's look at suffering differently. Look at it as not surprising. Look at it as something we can rejoice in. And then also in that, consider ourselves blessed. Because it's only in understanding suffering in this way that we can continue to do the good he has called us to do, even while suffering. The power to do good comes from God's blessing. And what is God's blessing in this passage? Suffering. Trial difficulty. We tend to be surprised by hardship because we think it's unusual, but in fact it is usual. Let's look a little bit closely, more closely at this at verse 12. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Nothing strange is happening. So God uses hardship in our lives as a trial, as a test, and, and there's two elements to a trial the way the Bible describes it. On the one hand, it's a, it's a test, meaning what is something made out of. On the other hand, it's also a test in terms of calling us into growth. The way you get stronger is by lifting the weights. The way uh, you get in better shape is by working out. The way you get acclimated to difficulty is by going through difficulty. And the trial and test is God taking us through the hardships of life in order to strengthen us in order to endure hardships of life, in order to conform us to the image of God. Let's put it this way. The trial and testing of life, the difficulties of life, is not the exception, it is the plan. When you bought your uh, membership at the, at the uh, gym, the fitness center, or when you, I guess, if you're like me, when you agreed to make donations to the gym and then not use the gym, uh, then you go down and sometimes when you get a gym membership for the first few weeks they give you a, a trainer who will show you how to use the machines and, and whatever so you pay the membership, you go down, you buy $2,000 worth of workout gear you're going to wear twice. Not you guys, good. Um, 
you go up and the trainer says, okay, uh, I want you to lay down on this bench. I'm going to put some weights on here. I want you to, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't know working out was going to be a part of this. I thought I would show up. We'd watch a video. I would leave in shape. <laughs> I thought that's the situation. And so, so why are we surprised when we, we say, Lord, I believe you. Now, Lord, I want you to make me like Jesus. And God says, I can do that. There's a whole bunch of you that isn't like Jesus. So I'm going to do what needs to be done to take those parts that aren't like Christ and remove them. And the way that's done is through trials. The plan is difficulty. It's not the exception. So if you're going through trial and difficulty, number one, you must be alive. Number two, we have to be careful not to say, when is this going to be over? Because why, why is that dangerous? Because when that ends, we get off the bench press and we move over to the leg curls. So this trial ends, yay Lord, and he says, okay, good. Now we got to work on something else. And what is the plan to make you like Jesus? Suffering and trial and difficulty. That is the means by which God is going to work out in us the image of Christ in us. So when we see trial and suffering coming, we aren't surprised by it. And if our heart is motivated by being made like Jesus, not only are we not surprised by it, we rejoice because we say, God is taking the time needed to make me like his son, Jesus. So we rejoice at hardship because we see it as the way in which we are made like Christ. Look at verse 13 and this strange command to rejoice during sufferings. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So what he's calling us to do here is to identify ourselves with Christ who was crucified for us. So when we go through suffering and trial, we can say, yeah, that's just like my Savior. Lord, it's hard. I don't like it. Uh, pain actually hurts. And this is not what I want, but it's what you want. And it's going to make me like Christ. And there is a communion, a relational connection between you and I and our Savior when we go through suffering because we say, wait, Jesus suffered. I get to suffer. I'm on team Jesus. That is something I have in common with my Savior is we endure suffering. But not only that, Jesus died on the cross. What happened three days later? Rose from the dead. Good, that's not a trick question. Some of you are like, okay, this is a trick question. Sounds like the answer should be Jesus, but he rose from the dead. What this means is his suffering was followed by his glory. His life was not characterized by an eternity of suffering. He suffered for eternity in a few hours. His life is characterized by glory. And what it's saying here is we suffer in and with Christ, and we rejoice in that because we say, this is what Jesus does, and I'm into Jesus-y things, and Jesus kind of things are suffering kind of things. So that's cool. Not only that, if Jesus is glorified, what will we be? Glorified. So we can say, suffering is a pain, payday's coming. I don't mean to be trite or flippant, but this is the way we're motivated. You say, there will be a day where I will be lifted up with Christ out of suffering, and you will be lifted up with Christ out of suffering. We're to rejoice in that. We're to rejoice in the fact that we suffer with Christ. We're also to rejoice in the fact that this will not last forever. There will be a day when his glory will be revealed in us, and we will be glorified with him. 
All right, just a reminder, the three things. Power to do good from, from God is a blessing because we're not what? Surprised. You guys aren't sold on that, are you? You're like, something bad happens. You're like, I know he said not be surprised, but this is surprising. Do not be surprised. Secondly, rejoice. We don't even want to hear it. I wouldn't even bring it up if it wasn't in the Bible. Serious. I mean, it's, it's a, you got something bad going on? Just rejoice over that. It sounds terrible. The Bible calls us to see it for what it really is. Uh, communion and relationship with Christ that anticipates glory. And finally, when we're insulted for the name of Christ, we are blessed because the Spirit of God rests upon us. There's a sense in suffering where we have a presence of God unlike any other time. And I bet if we had time for testimonies this morning, many of us would share that. It's during times of extreme difficulty and stress and suffering, we're times of closeness to God that have never been matched. But look at this last little warning. I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. I just, and you shouldn't be either. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. <clears throat> so what he's saying here is suffering because God brings hardship into your life. Got it. Suffering because you're being persecuted. Got it. Suffering because you're mean. Not cool, bro. That's what he's saying. Listen, you suffer, yes. Are you a jerk? You don't get to call suffering suffering. Everybody, nobody likes me. Yeah, you're rude. Okay, look at what it says. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer. And most of you were like, check, got it, check, got it. I'm good, not a check. Or as a meddler. Easy with the pen. Right? As a, what does meddler mean? It means what it means. <laughs> Keep your nose out their business. People who intervene. Let me explain to you how your life ought to be. Let me explain to you how you don't meet my high standards of what ought to be as a parent, what ought to be as a father, what ought to be as a church attender, what ought to be as a student. Let me explain to you how, based on my context and my experience, how your life ought to be lived. Of course, most of the time it has very little to do with the Bible and it has everything to do with how I think the world ought to operate. So I'm going to meddle in somebody's business and explain to them how their life ought to be lived. And, and the Bible is reminding us, meddlers are persecuted. It doesn't seem to have a problem with that. Now, I'm not saying you should persecute meddlers. But if we are sticking our nose into people's business and taking from our experience what life ought to look like for somebody else, especially when it's completely removed from the Scripture, and, and we're surprised when people then mistreat us, that's not surprising. That's not surprising at all. He says, if we're going to suffer hardship, it ought to be because we are following Christ in the goodness that he calls us into, not because we are uh, murderers and evildoers and thieves. And, uh, you know, so if you lose your job because you stole stuff from your boss, you are not being persecuted. You just got fired. And that's what he's calling us to do. If we're going to suffer, we must understand that uh, if we're going to call suffering a blessing, and if we're going to rejoice in it, we must understand it's not those things that come into our life because we're not following the Lord. Suffering in Jesus is a blessing. To think otherwise is opposite of the will of God. Suffering in Jesus is a blessing. To think otherwise is opposite of the will of God. There is no suffering that God brings in our life that isn't 
blessing. The question is not whether or not suffering from God is a blessing. The question is whether or not we believe it. All right? And I know this is terribly difficult. I'm just explaining to you what it says, okay? Uh, I don't want you to get from this a sense that there isn't a real challenge or struggle with this. All right. So power to do God's will comes from recognizing even in suffering we are blessed uh, by God. Look at verses 17 and 18. We're going to keep moving along. <clears throat> I've had a, a little bit of a, a throat thing going on. So my hope is I finish the message before my throat finishes. I don't think it was from yelling at my kids. It might have been. I don't know. <clears throat> power to do good for God's will. Let's read verses 17 and 18. It is for, it is a time for judgment to begin at the household of God. If it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? And, verse 18, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Power to do good for God's will. Summarize what this is talking about. If you have a wound, you have to clean the wound to avoid infection. Cleaning the wound can hurt. Cleaning the word can hurt. Cleaning the word wound always hurts. In fact, that's usually how you know that you're cleaning it properly, is it hurts. Cleaning a wound is painful, but it's necessary to avoid infection. And what we're discovering here is it is time for judgment to begin in the household of God. Judgment here is not judgment for sin. That went on Jesus. Judgment here is God looking at his people, assessing his people, saying, all right, these parts are like Christ, these parts aren't. It's time for us to start working the body of Christ to be looking like Jesus. I'm going to start with the household of God, bring them into looking like Jesus, and that means difficulty, trial, suffering. So he's saying it's time for the cleaning to begin. The point is this, in redemption, in God's plan to save us, in God's plan to redeem creation, the whole plan is to make everything holy again. The plan is to make you and I holy. The plan is to make creation holy. The plan is once again to bring everything under God's control and to be holy and spotless the way he made it. And that means it's got to be cleaned up, if I can summarize it that way. And he says, I'm going to start with the people of God. And what Peter is doing here is he's recalling back into several Old Testament passages that would connect with his, some of his Jewish uh, people who are reading this book. I'm going to just read them very quickly, because I have like three of them, and we don't have time to go through them in, de in detail. I believe they'll be up on the screens, because they're in the parts of your Bible you don't read often. Ezekiel 9.6, first reference Peter is sort of calling back to, Ezekiel 9.6. Ezekiel is having a vision. It's a dream. God is showing him uh, something of his plan for the people of Israel, so this is a vision. And he says this, Kill the old men outright, young men, maidens, little children, and women, but don't touch anyone who has the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. So they begin with the elders who were before the house. So what is happening is, he's having this vision, and God is giving him a vision. All the people who were seeking to follow the Lord were marked, and what God is saying, if you are not seeking to follow the Lord, you are under judgment. That's what the vision was seeking to reveal. And he says, I'm going to begin this process at the house of the Lord. So Peter is recalling back to Ezekiel and saying, God is doing his work to make everything whole again. He's going to start with his people. And he said, what difference does it make? We go through suffering as the people of God. We say, why is God doing this? And, and, and the Bible tells us, here's why. 
because he is beginning the process of cleansing, of making things whole again, and he begins with the people of God. All right, Zechariah 13, 9. I believe it's up on the screen. Here's what Zechariah says that Peter, again, is sort of recalling back to. And I will put this third into the fire. I will refine them as one refines, excuse me, silver. Test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name, and I will answer them. And I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. So here's Peter recalling back to Zechariah this idea of taking metal. You're testing the quality of the metal, and you're also putting it in the furnace to increase the quality of the metal. So you're taking gold, and you're throwing it into a furnace, heating it up, and all that stuff that's not gold is going to float to the top, and they're going to skim it. So the fiery trial is the way in which the metal is both tested for quality and the way in which its quality is improved. And Peter here is comparing the trials of Christians to this kind of furnace, this cauldron of fire, where our, our metal is tested as well as it is strengthened. Okay, last verse, uh, the Italian prophet Mal, uh, Malachi, I should say Malachi chapter 3, I had to wake you up. Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. This is what it says. You say, well, where's Malachi? It's right before Matthew. That's the easiest one to find. It was so close, it almost made the New Testament. Okay, got you back? Okay, stay with me. Malachi 3, uh, 3 uh, 1 through 4. Behold, I, am sending, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple... And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? He is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. So here's what Peter is calling us into. Understand, as the people of God, we cannot misunderstand and think, since I'm a Christian, nothing bad's ever going to happen again. Peter is recalling back into the Old Testament and saying, a normal way God works is to call you into relationship through faith and then to refine us purify us, refine us like gold and silver, scrub us like a, a full, the fuller's soap, give us a good once-over with that, that, uh, that soap that's got the bumps in it that's real abrasive, I forget what it's called, lava, okay, yeah, mechanic, yeah, okay, right, <laughs> gets in there and it's real, and he's scrubbing us over and saying, wait, that hurts, yeah, this is what it's going to take, so Peter is saying the relationship we have with God as his people is our identity as the people of God is fixed because of the work of Christ and our faith in Him. However, our situation is determined by Him, whatever it's going to take to draw us into holiness like Christ, and it's a refining process, a scrubbing process. Another way of saying this, we have been made holy in Christ, and in that identity as holy, He is going to develop in us holiness. In Christ, we are holy. Do we live holy day in and day out? That's an easy one. The answer is no. We don't live holy day in 
and day out. Like Seth was praying this morning, Lord, when we uh, stumble tomorrow, and as he was praying, my thought was, tomorrow? Man, that is optimistic for me, bro. I'm, I'd like to make it to like 1.30. Uh, anyway, that, that would be... And you say, well, what's your problem? I don't have a problem. It's the same problem you do. I'm not home yet. And so Jesus is going to take us into a life of being made holy, and that's a refining process. That's a scrubbing process. What's the fancy theology word for it? It's a suffering process. Power to do God, to do good, because it's God's will to take us through difficulty, make us like Christ, learning to be obedient to God even during suffering. A couple of New Testament passages that affirm these same thoughts, and then we'll, we'll move to the, to the last section. Romans 14, verse 10 says this. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. It is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. As believers, we anticipate a day when we get to stand before the Lord and have a little convo about how life went. We get to do a little debrief on how Jesus looked and how our life looked. And by God's grace, that, that conversation is going to end great, isn't it? Because we're going to have it. But we're going to have a conversation. But the reason that's important to understand is that means we have the opportunity now to submit to God's work in our life through difficulty because that day is coming. There's a day where we will stand before the Lord so we can trust even in the difficulty. He is doing a work now knowing there is a day when we're going to look at our life and stand before the Lord and talk about how much it looked like Christ. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. You probably haven't memorized. I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God has a plan for you. Your life is going to look a particular way in Christ before you leave planet Earth. Will it fail? Absolutely not, because God's in charge of it, right? What is it going to take to get you from where you, where you are today to where God wants you your last day here? Do you know what it's going to take? You have no idea, because you don't know what tomorrow holds, right? I've said it this way before. If you knew what God had in store to get you ready for that day, you would not be okay with it. If you knew what God needed to do to make you like Jesus on that day, you'd say, I'm, I'm, uh, is there another way? And Jesus said the same thing in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, oh, Father, if there is another way, take this cup from me. But, what he said, not my will but yours be done. And so what we have to understand, he says, because this is an encouraging verse, you may have it cross-stitched on a pillow. I've said this before, I said this verse should scare us to death. He is not going to quit making us like Jesus, no matter what. And he will do whatever it takes. Thank the Lord he's gracious enough to keep doing it when we're ready to throw in the towel. Finally, Romans 8, 29 and 30. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8, 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his sons. His son, I should say. In Christ, what's the plan? 
conform us to the image of Jesus. What's the goal of being a Christian? To be made like Jesus. What's the plan in growing in my relationship with God? To be more like Jesus. What's my reason for knowing the Bible better? I said it three times. To be more like Jesus. What's the reason to stop doing bad things and do good things? To be more like Jesus. What's God's whole plan? To make us more and more like Jesus. So, he is going to conform us to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many believers, those he predestined, he called, those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. He will make us like Jesus, and we will be glorified like Jesus, and between now and then are times of trial and refining and difficulty. So we are not surprised by them. We, in fact, rejoice in them, recognizing we are blessed in them. Power to do good. It's God's will to make us like Jesus. Sometimes people wear these little bracelets and they say, uh, what would Jesus do? Is that what the... Right, it's not what would Jesus drink. I was corrected on that the other day. It's what would Jesus do? Here's what Jesus would do. It's very clear. He would love God in his will. He, would, he loves God and God's perfect plan. What Jesus does is he says, I love the Father and I love what he is up to. And Jesus says that in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's under suffering, you and I have no idea how bad it was. So what we learn to do being conformed to the image of Jesus is to love God and his will not when things are going to get better, but to love God and his will in the blessing of the trial, in the blessing of the refining of difficulty. If suffering is a blessing and good, God is faithful, so then how do we respond? Look at the last verse, verse 19 of 1 Peter chapter 4. Therefore, What's great, he tells us why he's telling us all this. Therefore, because of all this other stuff, and many of you are saying, wait, we could have started here and been done early? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, which means not the meddlers, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The power to do good is a result of God's faithfulness. I wanted to read very uh, quickly an excerpt from one writer who wrote about uh, George Washington and relate it to how we're following Christ into suffering. This is uh, just a couple of paragraphs, not very long. Uh, George Washington was not necessarily a superior field general. Uh, he was not quick on his feet in the heat of battle. He could be ponderous in his decision-making. I've never used the word ponderous before today. He could be deliberate in his decision-making. Uh, it was his character, not his mental faculties, that led the way. His utmost control over his composure and his emotions. He provided the mental strength of will Excuse me, that held both the army and the entire country together during those formative years. He didn't falter in his public displays of confidence, regardless of how much despair he felt inside. In many ways, he willed the country into existence, although he had to use lots of force, too. He cracked down very hard on those in his uh, military units who did not uphold his strict standards. But in wielding his force, he led from the front. He never asked his men to do anything he wouldn't do himself, both in character and in the actual fighting, 
and therefore his men would follow him anywhere. So this is the key to understanding George Washington's leadership. He led from the front through strength of character, and so his men said, I, I see where he's going, and I see his character and his nature. I will follow him where he's going. I don't even know if he's smart enough to know where he's going, but based on his character, I'll go with him anywhere. And the scripture is calling us to look at Christ and say, I will follow him anywhere. To look at Christ, his suffering in the garden, look at Christ, his suffering on the cross, to look at Christ and his resurrection from the tomb and to be uh, inspired by the Spirit to say, I don't know what the road holds for me in the future, but if Christ is going down that road, I will follow him anywhere. The power to do good in Christ's faithfulness. And the point here is this. God is faithful and God is worthy of trust. God is good and kind. So even in suffering, we can have joyful communion with Christ and joyfully do good for others. He is calling us to recognize God is good. God is worth following into hardship. And Christ himself was faithful to do God's will even in suffering. And so therefore we are called as believers not to do good when things finally are okay. We're called to trust in God's faithfulness to do the good things we're called to do even in suffering. We entrust our souls to him. We follow Christ to the cross and we follow him out of the empty tomb. A day is coming where we will be raised. That day is not today yet. Maybe, I mean, we've got some time left. I'll keep watch if you keep watch. But until that day, we're following him on the road to the cross. And it is a road of suffering. It is a road of trial. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. We are saved by God's grace, and we are saved by God's grace on a road of difficulty to do the good things that Christ has called us to do. Power to do uh, good for the people in our community, in our church, and in our neighborhoods, not when this is over, but in enduring suffering. We do good in suffering because Jesus did. Okay, a couple of questions. We're going to close. How do we have power to do the work God has called us to? How do we have power to do good for those around us when we have nothing left, when in the midst of difficult trial, we're in the midst of difficult testing? First thing, when you're in a trial, ask God why. I'm being dead serious. Anybody in a real difficult trial and you've not understand, had no idea what God was up to? Me and like four people. Everybody else, you're just embarrassed to raise your hand. Of course, something bad is happening, and we go, God, what in the world are you up to? God, why is this happening? So I want to encourage you, when bad things are happening, when you're in suffering, suffering and trial and difficulty and the wheels are coming off, to pray to God and say, God, why is this happening? The reason I counsel you to do that is because that's what the writer of the Psalms does over and over and over again. And there is something profoundly relational to be able to come into God's throne room, pound the wall with my fist and say, God, you don't have a clue what you're doing. By his grace, he doesn't throw me out yet. No, he won't because he is faithful. The psalmist, in many ways, impolite terms, 
question God's faithfulness. Now, all of those psalms end with him worshiping. But being very honest with God of where his heart is. God, I don't understand what's going on. This is creating doubt in my mind. This is creating fear in my mind. I feel like you're absent. I love the one psalmist. He says, I pray and my words just float off into the sky. Are you even hearing? Do you even listen? There's one psalm in particular where he, he describes in profound detail what he's going through because he started with saying, God, where are you? Let me explain to you what's going on because clearly you're not here. Anybody ever prayed that way before? God, let me bring you up to speed on everything you've missed because obviously you're on vacay. And, and that feels improper and impolite, but we should come to God with what's on our heart. Lord, why is this happening? Our prayers are not hindered when we are honest with God about what's going on in our heart and mind. So come to the Lord, ask him why. But be prepared for trial. Be prepared for, prepared for difficulty. Suffering is normal in the life of a believer in spite of what some people say on Christian television. I'm resisting it. I'm not going to go, okay. Next question. First thing is, when, first uh, piece of advice, if I'm giving you advice, not that you want it. When you are in a trial, ask God why. Secondly, what do you want to get out of your suffering? There's a, there's a, I'm asking, what do you, you're going through suffering, you should say, what do I want to get out of this? Most of us want to get, what I want to get out of it is for it to stop, for no more suffering. Here's what God wants you to get out of your suffering, being like Jesus. He wants us to be conformed to the image of Jesus because of our suffering. I was reading this a biography of a famous chef, and in one of his first jobs, he was working uh, the grill station with a, a, an experienced chef, and he grabbed uh, the hot plate uh, to put the meat onto the hot plate, and quickly let go of it and dropped it onto the floor and looked at his hand and he was blistering because it was that it immediately was blistered and he turned to the experienced chef and he goes oh man man can I go grab a band-aid and get some ointment for this and what the experienced chef do it's great he reached down and he grabbed the same plate and he slowly picked it up real slow so this plate you need one burn ointment get out of here and what was the point the point is, he, he wanted the, the burning to end, and what the experienced chef understood, you need to be burned more so you have hands that can actually handle this plate. That's what you need. You're going to spend your whole day back getting burn ointment? You don't need burn ointments, you need strong hands. This is what God is calling us into in suffering. We say, well, you want the suffering to end, and what God is calling us into, he says, I want you to be like Jesus even in suffering like this. I want you to have the strength of character that comes from faith in suffering to be made by Jesus, even in these most difficult times. Okay, next thing to ask about suffering that you're experiencing is any of my suffering that I'm experiencing the result of, the, of my flesh, my sin, my meddling? The call there then is not say, God, why am I suffering? The call therein is say, God, I need to repent. I am treating the people around me badly. It's creating all kinds of relational problems. The fix here is not for everybody to figure out the world is my world. The fix here is for me to repent. Is there suffering in your life that's a result of your own sin? It may be time to repent. Okay, last thing, we'll close this. this. Where is your hope? Where is your hope? Many of us, myself included, our hope is that the suffering will reduce. There will be less trial. 
with less difficulty. That's a false hope. Our hope is not in the light at the end of the tunnel. Our hope is not in maybe it'll go away. Our hope is he can make me like Jesus in this. Now, some of us, the reason that's a challenge is because I'm not really incentivized to be like Jesus. I'm sorry, what? You want me to go? Is there any other payoff? This is where our hope is, to be made like Christ and on that day to be with Christ. Where is your hope? If your hope is in less suffering, that will be a hope that is shaky. There are too many stories of faithful Christians following the Lord. The suffering didn't end until the firing squad or the guillotine. That's where the suffering ended. And so it's a falsehood. We can't say, okay, if I do A plus B plus C, God will finally make this suffering go away. That's not what we're saying is no. The hope is not in less suffering. The hope is to rejoice in the fact that God can make me like Christ even in this difficulty. That's how we find joy even now. Power to do good. From God's blessing, what's the blessing? You don't want to say it. I'll say it. Suffering. Power to do God, uh, to do good for God's will. Empowered to do good in God's faithfulness. We're going to sing another worship song as we close. Let me pray, and the worship team will come up and get ready for that.